It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Sundays are awesome, right? Just to say time out from everything else and just do some different stuff, right? Some special stuff, some good stuff. So we're doing something a little different today, too. You notice that there's two of us here. This is Derek, and Derek's not just here to announce, but we're actually going to teach side by side this morning. Uh, and a part of this is just to, to really live out what we said probably a couple months ago now, and that is that God has created us to do life in team and to work together in team. And in fact, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 today, which is all about that idea of team. And even in worship this morning, you saw uh, there were three of them that were the team this morning. And just FYI, by the way, Sarah, who uh, was the female voice up here, is Eric's wife. So Derek and Sarah Gloss, if you've never met them before, that's who they are. And uh, just another part of Colossae Sherwood. So let me pray for uh, this teaching and for you and yeah, that, that like, uh, like Peter said, that this would be an encounter with God, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus himself. So, Father, again, we just keep stopping to, uh, to acknowledge you and to speak to you. And we thank you that you have given us a new life that includes a connection with you, God, uh, that we are not left to our own and that it's a deep connection. Father, we remember that you, through the Spirit, along with Jesus, are one and that you have come as we have believed to be with us and to live in us. And we receive that not as a sentiment, but as a truth and a reality. So we ask you, Father, to um, open our ears and our hearts and our minds, that as we spend some time in your truth, that it would be living and active inside of us, that it would produce fruit, that it would cause us to know even more what it is to live an abundant life in Jesus. Um, give us good words, and I pray that everyone who's listening could hear what they need to hear whether it's a, a spontaneous comment or something read in the scriptures, we ask you that everyone would receive from you. Be healed if necessary. Be convicted if necessary. Be comforted if necessary. Whatever is needed, Father, we trust you to meet those needs now. So we release ourselves to your spirit's guidance now. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, as Rick said, um, my name is Derek. My wife and I have been a part of Colossae Sherwood really just since this summer, uh, but before that we were over at Tigard for, for a couple of years. And so uh, normally I get to take this in from your perspective, and so uh, we're going to start out just by recapping kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks and see how, how well I was listening and taking notes and uh, just be on notice that maybe this will be you sometime. So uh, <laughs> g g g give me some grace and understanding. So uh, we, we spent some time a couple of weeks ago, and, and I think um, this particular passage in John 17 is a passage that we're likely to go back to uh, a number of times because it's Jesus praying for his disciples, uh, and not just his disciples in that day about 2,000 years ago, uh, but also his prayer for us as his followers here today in 2017. And so John 17, verses 20 through 23, says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 
And our main takeaway from this passage as Jesus is praying for us as his church is that we would be one with Father and Son and so that the world may believe that Jesus has been sent from God. And so uh, if you remember, uh, Rick had shared with us that uh, God in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is this uh, beautiful union, this holy and perfect relationship, uh, one with another, and that uh, even as the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to the world and ultimately to die on the cross, the uh, hardest part of that was not necessarily all of the physical um, torment that Jesus would endure upon the cross, but it would be that separation from the Father that he had never experienced before. And so um, he did that, though, so that you and I, who were separated from God because of our sin, might be invited into this beautiful union and relationship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so uh, we get to enjoy that relationship with God now, where we couldn't before, but now we also get to share this relationship one with another, and that is uh, Christ's prayer for us, is that we would have this oneness with God, but also this oneness with each other, uh, so that through that, uh, that unity, the world may know that um, not only did God send the Son to the world so that we might have this union, but that uh, he might express his love through him as well. And so this morning, what we get to do is spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and start to take a look at practically what does it look like for us as the church to have this kind of union. Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of the what could that look like specifically, because those thoughts that Derek just shared, they're, they're pretty big. Uh, they're pretty enormous and simple, but really profound. But how does that work out? And fortunately, the scriptures actually teach us uh, really specifically what this looks like. So First Corinthians 12, the first seven verses say this. They say, now concerning spiritual gifts, I'm going to stop right there. Just to let you know, the word uh, in the original language is actually grace. So I'm going to read it that way just to help you. I know that we've all probably experienced a little bit of teaching around spiritual gifts, and I'd love for you to set that aside for a moment and all that might come with it and listen to this passage with just fresh ears uh, so that maybe we can hear some new things. So now concerning spiritual graces, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, by the way, ladies. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So different cultural context than us. We did not speak to pagan idols before we came to Jesus, probably. I don't, anybody <laughs> in that camp? Yeah, no, okay. So culturally, we don't quite get this, but the, this was a people who already had spiritual life and spiritual experience, but it was around a life apart from God. It was actually with demons uh, that would, would give life to pagan religion. And so he's saying you need to transfer your understanding of, of who's in control from demonic or, or idol activity to that of God. And here's the way to distinguish for their sake is if this spirit that, is, that you're responding to and following is affirming Jesus and who he is, that's the spirit of God. If it's a spirit that does not affirm Jesus and actually denies Jesus, it is not. Now, there are a variety of graces, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but there is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To teach, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit 
for the common good. Here's where we're going to get practical. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's perfect. Nope, you were good. I'll stumble, but you don't have to. <laughs> so, um, notice that Paul is really wanting to emphasize again the Trinity. He says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. Variety of services, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. And that there are a variety of activities, but the same God, Father God. So he's just reminding us that what we can experience together comes from the triune God. And not only does it include all of the Godhead, but he says empowers them all in everyone. So we need to believe and understand that when the Spirit is present, it's not just a couple of people, but it's everyone in the room or everyone wherever we are that is gifted or graced by the Holy Spirit to be a part of creating the common good. So the Holy Spirit empowers all of us with aspects of God's grace for the good of everyone. And we're going to keep going deeper to see specifically what this might look like. So uh, as we see it continue uh, in verse 8, it says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions each one individually as he wills. And let, let's stop there for just a moment. And so just as Rick was sharing with us, you see uh, in this passage we have a tendency to hang out on what are the various gifts and which one do I have. And, and what we'd like to do this morning is spend a little bit less time on those gifts or those graces um, and spend more focus on the fact that they are all given by the Holy Spirit to each one of us um, for the purpose of doing what's best for the whole body. And so it continues in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so uh, to clarify this or kind of exemplify this to us, uh, we get this picture of a body. And so it's not just different gifts uh, by the same spirit, but it is uh, different parts of a body that it's likened to uh, that are all one, but also are distinct. And uh, so that's who we are, and it's by the Holy Spirit. And so we have these gifts uh, that we would not otherwise enjoy without the uh, indwelling in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it says we are, uh, so the takeaway for this passage is we are all members of the one body of Jesus Christ, and each member of this body is empowered by the Spirit. And so just even as Peter was praying earlier that this would be a spiritual experience and not a fabricated but an authentic spiritual experience, uh, the relationships that we get to have as followers of Jesus Christ are supernatural in that we are given this power, these gifts, these graces um, supernaturally by God now that we are in union with him so that we can serve and bless one another. And this can remind us of uh, what we studied a couple of weeks ago in the book of John again. Remember, Jesus said, this is actually last week, he said, I know that you're sad that I'm leaving, but if I do not go away, the Father will not bring the Spirit. But if the Spirit comes, you will experience even greater things than you've experienced with me. Here's how that plays out. Jesus had a single body, uh, and that single body was in a geographic location and in a certain time in history. 
But now because we are the body, literally the body of Christ, we are the presence of Christ, we can go to be a face, a cheek, a a hand, a foot of Jesus where we go. The body of Christ is able to be present today all over the world, empowered by that same Holy Spirit. So that's the fulfillment of the passage. And so you have heard, if you've been around Colossae for any amount of time, us talk about body to the body and body to the world. And so when we're speaking of this body-to-the-body concept, this is really at the heart of it, which is we are the body of Christ. We are the individual members. And that body-to-the-body is how we express God's love to one another in service, uh, using those gifts. And uh, from that flows this also this ministry to the world to share the fact that the Father sent the Son and expresses his love to them through us. Yeah, so let's keep going deeper here. Verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I hope you're picturing this as we go through, because this is quite humorous. <laughs> First of all, eyes don't really talk, and neither do feet, but anyway, let's go on. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? That also would just be freaky, right? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Oh, so much ear hair, too, and so big. Ugh. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So Paul's giving us two simple clarifications. He knows that naturally, as human beings, we're going to push back a little bit in one of two ways. One way is that we're going to be fearful, and we're going to say, this all sounds great, but I don't think it's for me. I don't think I belong. I don't think I'm a part of the body. And he's speaking directly to that fear. So no one here should say, this sounds good, but I don't think I'm a part of that. I don't think I have any grace of God in my life. He's saying, you can say that if you want. It's simply not true. But you can say it. And on the flip side, if you don't struggle with pride, perhaps you struggle with, or with fear, perhaps you struggle with pride. And the pride would say, I don't need all of you. I just need some of you. And I'm going to pick and choose who I need. But it says that the, you know, the hand cannot say to the foot, I do not need you. So Paul's wanting to release us from those human tendencies to not be connected, to not be a part of the oneness that is in the body of Christ. So we must reject the fear that says, I am not needed, and the pride that says, I don't need others. And as it continues, it, it takes those potential pitfalls of fear uh, Fear driving us to think that we are not part of the body or uh, the pride that says that others are unimportant or less important within the body. And he starts to get very specific (laughs) about this. um, And he gives us the contrast of the way it should look uh, with the body, starting in verse 22. And it says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice 
together. So rather than thinking, well, I'm unimportant or you're less important, uh, Paul is saying under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, on the contrary, um, all of the parts are necessary um, and that uh, even though there are some that might be more vulnerable or might be less visible, right? So our roles may be different. We're not all standing up here in a line preaching at nobody um, or, or, or singing at empty chairs, um, that all of these roles, uh, whether visible or behind the scenes um, or whether perceived to be of a certain importance or another importance, all of them are essential to this idea and they're for the purpose of caring for one another. So God has assembled us as the body of Jesus so that we can equally care for each other in powerful ways. Uh, It says um, that we do these things so that there may be no division in the body. And so if Christ's prayer for for us was this unity, um, then one of the ways that we ensure that there is no division among us is that we uh, inherently recognize our individual role in participation in this, uh, and then we embrace also the need to do this in team, to do this in tandem as a family, uh, and to recognize that we are all um, part of this, and we all play an important and valuable role within the body. And one thing I want to point out, it's interesting that when you think through all of those varieties of gifts, they were quite um, dynamic, and some were supernatural and even mystical, you know, languages and speaking in languages, miracles and healings. But notice that the way that Paul sums them up is in the single word care. Hmm. Care for the body. As he's a, some, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, there it is. We may care, equally care for each other. And so we need to understand all those gifts in, in whatever they are, that somehow those communicate care. And so if we function in those spiritual graces, people will be cared for. And I think that's, that's the, uh, the way that we can measure and test whether we are obeying the scripture well and exercising gifts from the Holy Spirit well if the net result is always care, if someone's needs are met. And if that's true, then uh, you'll notice it calls out some, some more vulnerable or, or sensitive areas that are covered as part of the body. And so my hope is that uh, when we come into this space as the church uh, with this desire to serve and to care for one another, um, that we can come, and if any of us, as it says, is suffering, that we get to suffer with each other. And if anybody is um, honored, then we get to rejoice together as well. And that requires a trust and a vulnerability. Uh, you know, last week we were talking about coming as children uh, into the space, and with that um, just that level of trust and no, no side agenda and um, that ability just to come open and honest to one another. And so to be able to come into this space or, or when we meet throughout the week and uh, let our guard down a little more than maybe we are inclined to do within the church and say, I, I am suffering. Can we suffer together? Or you're suffering. Let me suffer with you. Uh, Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And I'm going to use the word languages there. Are all apostles, are all prophets, the obvious answer, no. Are all teachers, do all work miracles, no. 
Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with languages? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So Paul goes back again to list gifts. He did it early on, and Derek read those at the, at the top of chapter 12, and now he adds some more. And uh, I want to point out a couple of things just for clarity. I chose to word, use the word languages instead of tongues. It's curious that when interpreters are translating the scriptures, they still won't translate this word the way they should. This word tongue literally means a language. It doesn't mean anything different than that. Uh, so there are some who have a theology that would say that there are other languages and they want to call them tongues because they're special and supernatural and mystical, but that's not what the scriptures teach. These are literally languages. Uh, if you listen to or you read uh, Acts chapter 2, that's illustrated. It says that everyone there was given a gift of languages, and then they expressed those languages, and they literally talked in languages that the people outside the house they were in understood. And they said, look, they're speaking in our language. And so we want to use that word here. Um, it, it literally, in the King James, tongue is the word language. And I, I would say my tongue is English. And, you know, you would say what your tongue is, and what I mean by that is my language. So let's rescue ourselves from thinking this is anything other than just simple languages. Some of them may be, as the next chapter in Corinthians says, languages of angels. So they are not human languages that we would recognize. They could be angelic as well, but they're just literal languages that are spoken and interpreted. And then the other thing I would point out is that Paul, in this list, does a mix. He gets more specific in the book of Ephesians. And he'll talk about apostles, prophets, teachers, and then a couple of other gifts as leadership. And then the rest of these are participate, participants within the body of Christ. So bottom line, Paul is listing for us all the various ways that we can express the Spirit of God. As I was thinking through this passage and praying for you all uh, and just wanting to illustrate it well, uh, this picture came to me, and that was one of a symphony. And, and it came to me in this way. I was listening to NPR. And they had a three conductors that they were interviewing. And one of the, the part that I turned on to, they were talking about the experience of conducting. And they were all sharing what an amazing experience it was to have talented musicians in the room with all of their different instruments and to be able to stand in front of that group to raise a baton and to interpret the music and lead those uh, instrumentalists, those musicians in expressing that music and just that dynamic of knowing the music and then directing it and having everyone in the room work together to create this incredible expression and experience of music. And I, I immediately went, that's what this is. That's exactly what this is. The Holy Spirit is the conductor. And when we assemble in the name of Jesus and when we all get our instruments out and we're ready to play them, the Holy Spirit steps up with his baton and he begins to conduct. And I believe that's the picture that Paul is painting now, today, we're really far from that. We, have, we don't allow ourselves to be a symphony, at least not on a Sunday morning. We just have some soloists, or today we have a duet. <laughs> and there's a couple of things that are less than ideal. There's some great things happening this morning, and what we're doing is good. But you're only getting to experience the gifting of two, and in the room there's a hundred. And it also puts a lot of pressure on the two or three that are leading worship to kind of carry it. And I, Paul is looking to me to show that the body of Christ can equally carry the load of caring for and blessing one another. And so in my mind, and Derek shares it with me in our heart, we, what would it look like? What would the experience look like if we had the opportunity 
for all of us to get our instruments out. And this is kind of the picture. You've all come in today with a case in your hand. It's a French horn, or it's a piccolo, or you brought your drumsticks, or your tuba, and that's why there's a seat next to you, because tubas take up a lot of room. <laughs> but you brought your instruments, and you kind of set your case down, and now, you know, here you are. We have been the only two in this moment to unpack our instruments and get them out. And this is by design. I'm not cr critiquing us. I'm saying this is what we do. And you're going to pick up that case and go home and potentially not have opened it and gotten it out. Mm. Uh, what would it look like? What would it look like if, if all of us were invited to break out the instruments and to warm up together and tune them up and to share them? And we're going to keep going further in this passage in weeks to come because Paul describes that very thing, exactly what it would look like. But uh, today, our hope is to give to you this, this wondering that we have, what would it look like for more of us to participate and to lead and to care as the body of Christ together and equally? And maybe Sunday morning's not the space for that. Maybe that's community groups. Maybe that's people over for dinner at your house spontaneously. But, but our desire as, as leaders here at Colossae is that we might really understand what does it mean to obey this passage? What does it really mean to step into the fullness of spiritual graces and spiritual giftings? It says we are equipped, each of us, with unique instruments to play a symphony under the direction of the Holy Spirit that gives life to everyone who hears it. So, yeah. The key, though, is not what's your instrument. Paul seems to want to emphasize the key is where we need to start is who's the conductor? Mm. And are we connected to the conductor? Are we practicing with the conductor? Uh, and that is, of course, Father, Son, present with the Holy Spirit within you, within your spirit. And this is the connection. This is the place we start is to solidify our own relationship with the conductor so that as we come together, we don't get distracted by, hey, what is my gift? And does my gift sound good? And is it tuned right? And then did I miss a note? And we get off on some individual concerns about how we're doing rather than this healthy sense of what is the conductor asking us to do? What does it look like for me to play my instrument? And how does playing this instrument result in the care of the body of Christ? So good. Uh, you know, this is a passage that we, we all likely have some familiarity with, and we go, yeah, 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 we're one body, many parts. And yet the uh, power of this passage is Jesus is praying for his church, is saying, if we, actually, if we actually are able to do this, to experience this closeness and oneness with God, and experience this oneness and closeness one to another as an expression and a response to that relationship with God, um, it is both beautiful and it is powerful and it is actually the means by which we also are the body to the world, that they see that the Father sent the Son and has expressed his love and invited them in also to this union. And um, so as we, uh, in just a moment, come to the table of communion, uh, that's what we celebrate, is that we uh, were once separated from God uh, because of the sin that dwells in our hearts uh, we were removed from that union, and as Rick so so well um, articulated the other week, for Jesus, he had never experienced this, and this was the torment of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from the Father in that one moment in all of eternity so that we might be invited into this union because of what he has done. And so that's what we celebrate as we come to the table of communion, that 
the Father sent the Son. He paid the price for our sin, invited us into this union with God. And as an expression of that, we've been given the fullness of God inside of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we get to remember that now. And the expression of that now and as we move forward is our love and caring for one another. And if you're visiting today here at Colossae Sherwood, we just want to let you know our tradition is to, during the next couple of songs, to come down when you're ready to the table and to take uh, the bread and to dip it in the juice and to take it as you want to, either alone or with someone that came with you or with your family. It's just a time for you to remember and to celebrate you, Jesus, and maybe a couple of people with you. That's our tradition, and we invite you to do that. And then there are giving boxes as well. If this is your church home and you want to give in a physical way, those are there. So... Let's worship.